0: Welcome to the Why Not podcast with me, Chrissy Hawkins. In a world where everybody always asks you why, I'm here to ask why not. I'm going to do that by breaking down the mindsets of guests and my own to figure out what makes people say why not. Hi guys welcome back to why not so today i'm talking to amelia thompson who is a nutrition coach who works primarily with people struggling with disordered eating so today we actually talk about the difference between eating disorders and disordered eating how she kind of came into this role working with people like this and kind of say things in the fitness industry that kind of perpetuate the disordered eating and kind of almost in a sense glorify it and how it these are things that are kind of harmful now and we need to kind of move past them and then we kind of talk about you know just little things people can do or people find helpful when struggling with this that obviously it is not a a blanket statement so there's different things to help different people Uh, but these are the kind of things we talked about today and as ever guys just sit back and relax or walk and listen here's my episode with Amelia Thompson so hi guys welcome back to why not so today i have got amelia thompson so if you don't know her, she is a nutrition coach and i'm actually going to let amelia tell you a little bit about herself so welcome to the pod- podcast amelia how are you
1: thank you i am well thank you very much um okay i will do like a note version i <laughs> am a registered nutritionist and I work predominantly I run a coaching team to support people in their relationships with food and their relationships with their bodies and I also run an online education portal uh, course sorry called EIQ Nutrition with Emma Sori Gordon and that is a course designed to support personal trainers to educate themselves on nutrition but also to develop a much more compassionate and holistic approach to health and nutrition and My background is I have a PhD in exercise physiology and I used to be a university lecturer, but not so much anymore. And I think that's it. Oh yeah, deadly. So how did you get into nutrition in the first place? I did sports biomedicine at undergraduate and I had a, a a teacher, a lecturer who I loved, who was a professor in sport nutrition, and he inspire me to do it so then I went off and did a master's in sport and exercise nutrition and so I kind of just went into it through my studies and then I lectured in a nutrition department at university for three and a half four years and I developed a sport nutrition program and so and then I went into like I've always been into health and fitness and so I competed in bodybuilding for about four years, and when I was going through that process I recognized that the knowledge of the fitness industry at that time was not very evidence-based at all especially within bodybuilding and so I started to kind of marry the two of my studies and my personal experience in fitness and then I kind of just fell into the space that I'm in now because nobody spoke about disordered eating at all which is predominantly where my coaching team focuses.
0: Yeah and did you find there was a lot of that in bodybuilding a lot of disordered eating?
1: Yeah um it's something that's not spoken about very often, but bodybuilders as a whole have an increased risk of disorder eating an increased prevalence of disorder eating versus the general population. And that's partly because of the type of people that it attracts. There's a lot of crossover between personality traits, between um, people with eating disorders and people who fall into bodybuilding. So things like extreme perfectionism, um, sometimes narcissism these kind of certain traits that cross over but then on top of that bodybuilding as a sport or any extreme dieting even without bodybuilding is very much obviously aesthetic focused so you're constantly um surveying your body constantly body checking every single day constantly exposing yourself to subjective feedback on your body and on top of that as you get leaner with any sort of extreme diet you're biological drive to eat increases but at the same time you're not allowing yourself to honor that because you are dieting and so what often happens as soon as you finish dieting you finish competing for that season your biological drive to eat is at its highest you have often developed quite rigid food rules throughout your bodybuilding prep you're obsessed with your body and yourself to some degree and so it all kind of comes together to create a really toxic environment for your relationship with food so super common but and it's spoken about more now but it certainly wasn't five years ago when I first started competing but it wasn't five years ago I started I I competed from 2014 to 2017 and we're now 2022 so I finished about five years ago okay um did you find that happened to you at all yeah massively that's why I, I went into it so like I said when I when I finished when I did my first season so you do like a extreme diet and then you have like an off season and then you do it again for a number of years and so when I did my first prep I had a coach at the time and I knew he he did warn me he said post-show is quite tough but I didn't realize just how tough it was and as soon as I finished I was regularly overeating to some degree I would say I was binge eating I would compensate for my eating with exercise I hated my body I just had a really toxic binge restrict cycle with my food for quite a while and every time I did a competition prep it got easier and easier because of the work that I did around it around mindfulness and compassion and other things where I tried to incorporate that in but at no point was it smooth sailing even in my last show my last show was the easiest where I stopped tracking straight away and it was not so bad but there was never a point with competing that I finished that season and wasn't in some way negatively impacted in terms of my relationship with food or my health and was it hard to reverse that when you decided to stop competing not for me not hugely because again I did all the work all the way through it but I wouldn't say that my relationship with food was healthy until about a year after I finished competing so it I think people often think that your relationship with food should just be good and should just be quote, quote, normal and it's but it doesn't really work like that you have to put in the work so it took a year of me not dieting it took a year of me focusing on healthful habits and things outside of my body and outside of myself to really kind of restore that relationship with food but it did take it did take quite a while I didn't find it too hard to be honest because again I'd done the work but I know that it's a really really hard process and had I tried to stop competing a year in when I hadn't done had the experiences that I had and hadn't looked at the research that I had then I would have found it a lot tougher and I work with clients now who it, it like it might take a year or two for them to really get out of that headspace yeah
0: did you think the having the research and looking at the research helped you or was it really kind of more something you had to work on like emotionally
1: both really like any sort of coaching you need to take the evidence and then you need to apply it to the individual with the right behavior change strategies right with the right kind of more holistic approach so I needed the research because I didn't know that it was common to binge eat after dieting I didn't know that that was a thing even though I was a nutritionist no one had ever told me that so when I did my first show I remember looking up binge eating and practices to help binge eating was nothing to do with competing and I found a lot of mindfulness based interventions and nobody was talking about them so I didn't have a choice but to use the research to look at what I was doing um, and I mean I'm sure people were talking at, I, about them outside the health and fitness space don't get me wrong but there was nobody there at the time that was so I would look at a research paper and I was at a uni, uni at time teaching so I had access to all this the I would look at the protocols used in the research and I would just try and use them for myself or I would adapt them in some way for myself and I learned about mindful eating. So it wasn't just about obviously reading the research, but it was about me saying, right, now I know this is the research. How can I incorporate this into my life and make myself more mindful and and foster a more positive body image? And that process for me was about evidence-based practice on myself before then I could say, right I'm going to coach in the same way and take the stages that I went through and use them within a method that, which is the method that I use now with clients yeah I suppose it helped you and kind of being used to reading research it helped you you know to take that information out as well yeah I mean I'm a scientist to my core so it's rare that I'll do anything that's not evidence-based it, it, there are some exceptions to that like I, I have crystals <laughs> like there's no evidence there <laughs> but that's more of a faith thing rather than a I would never say to my clients you know what you need is a rose quartz or an amethyst you cannot I would never apply that stuff yeah I get you um so like
0: was that would you say like dealing with that yourself is what brought you to dealing with eating disorders with people?
1: Well I don't work with eating disorders I work with people mm-hmm. with disordered eating and I think that's super important to recognize that if you have an eating disorder you need to get clinical support for that that's not a job for a nutritionist or a personal trainer or a coach Um, but it certainly is I naturally fell into that because when I went through that myself and it, it wasn't just through bodybuilding I had disordered eating habits for a long time and bodybuilding gave me a safe space to control that and then mm-hmm which was not healthy, but I did again, I didn't know any different. And then because I started speaking about it a lot more on my social media, I was writing blogs about it. And because no one was doing it, especially in bodybuilding, it was like naturally those types of people that were going through the same things would gravitate towards me and ask me for support with it. And initially it wasn't something that I would do because I just didn't have the experience or the understanding of how to do it. But it certainly is the reason why I fell into it in the end because it was just through me being super open and authentic with what I was going through that that ended up being the reason that I work with people that I do.
0: Yeah, um, could you actually would you be able to explain the difference between eating disorders and disordered
1: eating just because I'm not sure if people would know the difference? Sure. So can kind of think of it as a spectrum. So on one end of the spectrum you've got, kind of optimal relationship with food, super health. When I say super healthy, I don't mean eating super healthy. I mean a super healthy relationship with food. And then on the other end, you've got eating disorders, which are things like bulimia or anorexia that have very specific criteria that you meet in order to be diagnosed with those. So I don't know them off the top of my head, but the the DSM-5 states those specific criteria. Mm. And then in between that, like, there are more than obviously those two eating disorders so there are about five or six named eating disorders and but between those two extremes there are people tend to sit on that spectrum of maybe they have a good relationship with food but they've got some disordered habits so maybe they struggle to eat out socially or they track a lot of their food and they struggle to not track their food or they're obsessed with body checking and and, um, exercise to burn off calories and things like that those are all disordered habits and the extent to which your habits negatively impact your life is going to be different for for different people and some people might be further down the spectrum where they are regularly overeating but they're not binge eating and they you feel quite preoccupied by food but they don't meet the criteria for eating disorders so they might be at one sort of further down the spectrum and then someone else like I said might just have a couple of little things that are not super they're not super comp with or confident with with their relationship with food that might be more up the spectrum so disordered eating is kind of more anything that that takes up an unnecessary amount of your time or contributes negatively to your life those would be classed as disordered eating habits
0: do you, do you find um people with those kind of disordered eating habits find it sometimes harder to accept because they don't have a definite like say for instance they're not anorexic or they're not bulimic they just have a few things so they're like no i'm fine there's nothing
1: wrong with me um yeah I think I think the thing is is with disorder eating habits generally they we adopt them for a reason and we feel that they serve a purpose for us even if it's a purpose even if we don't want them so for example overeating can serve a purpose for people that maybe don't feel comfortable to sit with their emotions or recognize the feelings that they're experiencing so they might use food to suppress those feelings so I think it's really important when we look at these things to approach them with a really compassionate mind so that we're open to understanding why we have these habits and accepting why we have these habits because there's no way of changing them if we don't accept them in the first place and kind of keep an open heart and mind towards that but on the other side of that I suppose some people don't want to leave them because they think that they're like they think that they're useful so example being um not being able to keep certain foods in your house because whenever you have them, you overeat on them. That is a disordered habit. And a lot of people will probably think, well, it's not a big deal. I just won't keep that food in my house, which is all well and good until you have children or until you mm-hmm. are with your family or you end up moving in with someone else. How do you deal with it then? Um, and so people think, well, it's just not a big deal. It doesn't, like, it's not a medical... um issue so to speak that needs cured but it's certainly something all of these things if they are if you don't feel that you have full it's not even about control but a full autonomy in your food choices and you're comfortable in your food choices then it's something that you that's something that you deserve to feel and your disordered habits are not helpful to you even if you convince yourself that they are not in a healthy sense anyway yeah
0: um Do you, like the process of like helping or kind of breaking away from these things, do people expect it to be quite linear or is it generally like it is kind of something that takes time? Um, People,
1: again, both. So I certainly wouldn't like to generalise. For some people, they can work on their relationship with food for their whole life, like realistically. Mm. And I think that if people don't get the support, sometimes that is the case. And for some people, it almost becomes a bit of a livable with situation and that's that's tough and those that that's a really tough situation to be in but I do believe that most people can get to a place where food is not negatively impacting their life as a whole but again people with eating disorders are not really classing that within this conversation because it's it's a mental health condition and it's Mm -hmm. a mental illness um some people if it's something small like tracking for example some people can just Go over it. I'm just going to phase it out. And within a yeah. couple of months, they phased it out and they feel fine eating without counting calories, and that's great. But for other people, no. If it's something like overeating, it can it can take a long time to break free from. And then often you get people who manage to stop overeating regularly, but occasionally, every now and again, if they're going through something really stressful, they maybe have a week where they overeat, and then they feel like they're back at square one. But it's like that happens and it's normal for your body or your brain to go back to the strategy that it's most comfortable with to help you manage feelings and so I think it very very much differs I've had clients work with me for three months which is rare to be honest Mm. um and I have clients who've worked with me for four years and I've only been going for five years so you know it's it's different for everyone I think
0: yeah I suppose the reason I'm asking is I kind of see that with the fitness industry you know they kind of expect like they do the six weeks and whatever the amount of time and everything will be sorted and they'll be grand when it's, it's not really like that you know you kind of have to keep going you don't just do like an eight-week program and that's you sorted for life you still need yeah. to work on it all the time
1: yeah and I really dislike that I really dislike this idea that your health can be improved in eight weeks and then that's a completely it and this is the problem and fitness especially we, we confuse fat loss with fitness fat loss with health fitness with health we get these all things all confused and a complete health overhaul is going to take more than 8 weeks because health is much more holistic than body composition and for a lot of people it's actually not going anything to do with body composition at all but it's the only way that we that we know initially how to change our health is to change our bodies and the fitness industry certainly perpetuates that and i love the fitness industry a lot i really do but uh, transformations and 8 week programs and tra- 8 week challenges and stuff like that they really it's it's marketing it's not there to help you it's marketing it's there to make people money and I understand the drive when you are on social media and you see someone to post a transformation picture or tell you you can get something in eight weeks we are a nation or a generation of people who love instant gratification like that's we want everything quickly we you know we order food and it's there within 15 minutes like we want everything quickly And so I understand the pull to these types of things, but they are not there to serve you. They're there to serve the coach themselves who's doing that program because it's just, it's illogical to think that you can change your life and your healthful habits within a week, especially if you're 35 years old and you've spent the last 20 years developing them. Just doesn't make sense. Yeah,
0: no, I find that as well. Um, One thing I was interested in as well, those transformations, you never see them six months later, reposted.
1: Yeah, exactly that. And I did a post on this yesterday, actually, because a lot of the time those clients come to me because that coach will be using their body to sell their transformation. But at the same time, that client is now working with me because they've got a really bad relationship with food or they've regained the weight that they lost in that transformation picture. But that transformation picture is still out there making another person money. And it's being used as inspiration for other people. And that to me is really sad um, and I don't really know how we can it other than talking about it as much as we can. Mm. Um, do you
0: find there's definitely like, well, not definitely, but there's a big lack of knowledge when it comes to relationship with food and working on that when it comes to like fitness cultures? Because you were saying
1: yourself, you did you do a, a program for them. Yeah, I think there's two problems. I think one is lack of education, which is why we started EIQ Nutrition when we talk about all of this stuff. I think that's the first thing and and to some degree you can't blame personal trainers because the nutrition that they get in their personal training qualification is crap they don't get any behavior change information or anything about habits they they get like the very basic stuff and sent on their way so to that degree it's like you can't blame them for coming fresh out of a course and not understanding this stuff but five years down the line if you've not done any cpd to support yourself and you've not done any of these types of courses to learn then it is your fault now and you are a health professional. And I think that's the thing is we are health professionals to some like to some degree. We're not nurses. We're not registered health professionals, but we certainly are working with people to support their health. And I think sometimes we work beyond our scope of practice. I say we as a collective of personal trainers, I think there's certainly that problem too. But then I also think that some people know better, they just don't do better because they care more about their themselves and their money and their success and their ego and there's a lot of ego in the fitness industry and you know this is a conversation I have with my business partner all the time is that there's a I hate to generalize here I really really do but at the moment especially we're going through a phase of male egos in the industry really stifling change because it's just kind of like who can make the most money and that's what that's what marketing is for and there's nothing wrong with marketing and selling your business we all have to do it we all are here to support people first and foremost but we have to make a living off that but i think that at the moment especially and it's kind of diet culture as a whole to be fair we focus more on making money than we do on helping people and that is a huge huge problem i know coaches that know better but they just don't do it because it doesn't work for their bank balance and that's really sad
0: Yeah, I suppose you're right. Like you know, the it is the things like those eight week transformations that sell better than saying let's be sustainable and let's try and work on, you know, we don't have to work out seven days a week. And you know, um, there was one thing I saw recently as well, and they were looking for comments on have the is it seventy five day hard challenge? Have you heard about that? No, what is that? (laughs) (laughs) It's a viral thing on TikTok because obviously it's gone viral. But basically, the rules are are you pick a diet any diet stick to it and um, then you have to work out twice a day for 45 minutes which is um and one of them has to be outdoors and you read 10 page of a non-fiction book a day which I'm like okay everyone could do with doing that uh drink a gallon of water a day or something like that um I think they're the main rules of it. and it's like
1: yeah that's great now what do you do after 75 days yeah, that and that that's the point, right? Because actually as a whole, I could think that, well, maybe you go for a walk for one and then you go to the gym and like almost, I can be like most of that I could almost get on board with, but you're exactly right. It's That's not about behavior change. It's like, do these things and then get to the end and then stop. But actually it's an after that stop point is where people need the most support because anyone realistically, if you really had to, you could follow a meal plan realistically mm-hmm. that we don't make cognitive decisions when it comes to food. We make emotional decisions most of the time. So we need to have habits in place and, and easy kind of options in place and non-negotiables in place so that we know that when we get emotional and we can't think necessarily straight, so to speak, we have those things in place to help ourselves but again these types of programs some of them do you know some eight week programs will say let's put these eight habits in place but it's not it's not enough it's just not enough I think it's wrong yeah
0: Yeah, no same I did like I responded to thing on that and I was like okay that's all well and good and you will get results but what do you do after and that's like the biggest thing um I think do you think like do your clients come in thinking that they, they can do this in a certain amount of time or are you always straight up look this is going to take time we don't know how long it'll be
1: yeah it. I mean yeah I mean I suppose I should really say here like I know a couple of coaches who run a sort of eight week programmers but the idea is that it's a sort of eight week initial block and then they do some yeah. more. After it. so and, and, and I think in that situation like that can be really helpful so I, I certainly I'm not bashing uh, like all oh yeah like there's definitely a place for some of them it's just the extremes of it um yeah I have to talk about this quite a lot to clients on social media my coaches say all the time like it's not an eight week fix because especially the type of work that I do we're unpicking things that habits that have been learned 15 20 years ago or we are literally unpicking all of the cultural narratives that you've got about what a body should look like we're unpicking all of this stuff that you expose yourself to for I don't know however many hours of the day of people commenting on your body so if you scroll on social media you know it's it's something that's really top comic now is like dieting for summer and it's like
0: Mm.
1: we can just take that as an example of like why do you want to diet for summer because because I'm going on holiday but but why because I want to feel good in my bikini but why don't you feel good in your bikini as it stands because I know I should be smaller but why and it's like really question that and it's like well, because everyone should want to be smaller but why and that's so cultural and it's this idea that well of course everyone like the leaner the better when you go on holiday but, but again why and it's like there's nothing wrong with dieting for your holiday and for a lot of people as well it's probably going to improve your your health if you've got a you're in a larger body say but for a lot of people who are already in healthy bodies they're going oh it's coming up to summer a better start dropping body fat it's like you're going to go on holiday and you're going to have all the negative side effects that come with dieting because you dieted because you felt like you should, because that's what, that's what social media tells us to do. And so all of these things are not for me to kind of tell each individual person, but it's for me and my coaches to get someone to understand where that's come from from themselves. And that just doesn't take eight weeks. You just can't like, you just can't do it. Or for someone to say, oh I recognize now that I overeat every time that I'm in the house on my own and I feel x y or z so then it's like okay great we've understood why you're doing it let's think about alternative strategies that we can put in place to stop that from happening and again that's not a quick fix
0: yeah no exactly and you're right yeah the eight weeks like as if it's eight week foundation absolutely um yeah. but if it's a you know solve all your life's problems in eight weeks it's yeah. Definitely not... yeah exactly <laughs> um, Oh yeah, um I've actually seen you were posting recently as well on your own page about like purposely gaining weight yourself. How has that been received?
1: God, I said so, yeah, I sometimes talk about this on our, my own podcast because people went people went wild when I said I wanted to gain weight and this was quite a while ago now. I haven't I haven't purposely changed my body composition in a while but my body composition has certainly changed. And whenever someone sees a picture of me from a different time, they're like, what did you do to get from there to here? And it's like, I just lived my life. I probably lost a bit of muscle in the pandemic. I probably was anxious. I probably didn't eat much. But then there I was probably upset. And I remember I was eating loads. And that, that's why my body changes, because of natural fluctuations. And But at the time, it was about a year and a half or two years ago, I think, I it was about two years ago. And I genuinely just wanted to gain weight because I, and I wanted to gain fat. It wasn't like I, w- I wanted to gain lean muscle. I wanted to gain body fat because I was in a healthy body, but I liked I wanted to have a bigger arse and I wanted to have bigger boobs. Like it was genuinely as shallow as that. And I told people, I said, like, yeah, I'm, try- I'm trying to gain a little bit of weight. I'm not tracking, but I just want to like I just want to gain a bit of body fat. And the outrage that people felt, and every single day they were questioning, like, I don't mean to be funny but you look great now why do you want to gain weight or I don't really understand and it's like because society like culturally you have decided that everyone should want to be leaner I think it's more attractive when I am a little bit fatter I feel sexier when I'm a little bit fatter I love to eat and I think the guy at the time that I was into I think we'd had this conversation he was like yeah I think it's, it's sexy when girls are a little bit bigger like it was completely shallow and like I say it's not something that I'm doing now but just people could not understand that they genuinely I think we're so naturally inclined if we see two bodies to think well the person who's leaner must be happier the person who lean, I'd much rather be like the person who's leaner and we've got this kind of internalized weight bias or internalized thin ideal where we think that thinner means more successful happier and there's lots of research on this like if when you look at people and you ask them people often think leanness just means a more positive happier life and so they don't always recognize that they're doing it but when they see a leaner body they automatically assume happier healthier more confident and it's it's just not the case sh- that is just this weight bias that we have, have very much internalized because of the media for so long mostly the media
0: yeah that's fair it's like it's like um sometimes it's like it almost offends people that someone in a bigger body could be
1: happy and enjoying themselves and successful isn't it like imagine that like it's it's just it's 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 interesting right and I think it's all of our personal responsibilities to challenge our our own narratives around it because we can spend 20 years of our life trying to be smaller and it's like because you think smaller is going to be happier and then you look back and you've spent 20 20 years of your life fighting miserably to get leaner when to try and find a happiness that you never got when you could have spent those 20 years living living your best life yeah that's true um I think I say
0: as well like I say the reason you got such a um, uh, like backlash or response to you saying you wanted to gain weight because I, I suppose they probably don't expect people to want to gain weight for
1: aesthetic reasons yeah yeah exactly that but who are we to say what someone's what a what someone else looks better like but be what someone prefers like I I would never say to a woman I like you better a different shape ever because it's not for me to have an opinion on someone else's body I like my own body a little bit curvier because I feel better like that but that's my own preference and it's not for us to to decide or assume where someone else feels happiest or healthiest someone hasn't let themselves go because they've gained weight like they might actually be happier than they've ever been, and so they and they've gained weight as a byproduct of that, or vice versa. Someone could be really going through a really anxious time, and they've lost weight, and yet we assume that they're happier because they've lost weight. Like it's, it's, it's not even wild because we understand why it is, but we just have to be a little bit more accountable to it and question ourselves a little bit more on it. Do you think people are a little bit too, past remarkable on, people's body shapes yeah yeah absolutely um one of my friends posted a a pregnancy picture recently and the number of comments on it that were talking about the size of her bump and how it was admirable she had a small bump and all this stuff and I thought the day that I get pregnant one day if people start to say you're doing well because you've got a small bump I think I will lose my mind it it just amazes me that people think it's okay comment on someone's body in in any way shape or form it's not helpful to them in in any way and to be honest if someone complimented me like my favorite compliment ever is when people say like I love your energy or like that's to me that makes me so happy and I think I don't want someone saying your body looks great like I mean it's different I think if I'm in the bedroom with someone I'm like yeah I'll take that but (laughs) basically day to day that's not what you want you don't want to be known for your body you want to be known for your brain and like your soul and why do we feel it's okay to, to pass comment on someone's body like just we're existing we're not asking for it doesn't matter what someone puts on social media they're not asking for you to comment on their body they're just living their life in their body and that's what their body looks like and that's certainly something that that i've experienced on social media where I've had backlash and I've had compliments on my body throughout times and it's like I got to a point where I thought am I supposed to be hiding my body here so as not to get comments on it hiding my body here so as not to trigger anyone and I think you have to take a step back and say we're all just existing in our bodies we're not asking by existing in our bodies to be commented on you know we don't put a picture up and ask someone to comment on our hair or our eyes or anything else so why do we think it's okay to comment on bodies and it's especially prominent for women because ultimately if we take it right back to its roots it's because men like to have ownership again not all men patriarchy likes (laughs) to have ownership of our bodies and the longer they comment on them the more they feel that they have ownership on that and again I'm not talking about men I am talking about patriarchy and the kind of structural system around that
0: yeah, I get you. I Understand? That's crazy. People saying that's a nice small bump, like it's, it's
1: I don't know, what? It's, it's a big bump. This means it's a bigger child, is not it? I know. It's just, it just amazes me.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. I can't get my head around that. Like, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have never thought like anyone who's pregnant that will come to my mind. And like, go, oh, it's very neat looking,
1: or it's very big. It's like, oh, look, they're pregnant. But people do, like, right? And exactly. Yeah, and they touch it and they hold like. They have opinions on what you should look like, like what size you should be, how how much you should be eating, how much you should be exercising, and I mean it's a process that I haven't gone through, and I can only imagine how much unsolicited advice you get in that situation. And I I, I respect any pregnant woman who's gone through it so far because yeah. from what I see, it's just awful. I suppose a lot of people like to give unsolicited advice when it
0: comes to everything as well, though, don't they? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so. What, um, I suppose, you you mentioned media as well, like being like a cause of a lot of disordered eating. What will be kind of things that annoy you the most, maybe, in the media that you see?
1: (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) Liz. We could bash it and bless her. Do you know what? I think um, I'm not even really talking about her dress diet because I don't think it's helpful necessarily to bring too much attention from it. In general, I think anything we are any fads piss me off a lot you know there was someone recently that was a reality star and she was talking about leggings that have like tinfoil inside them that make you sweat that apparently help you spot reduce like stuff like that amazes me that it still goes on I just think how are we in 2022 and yet people are selling diet pills and sweatpants still that amazes me and I think that because of my echo chamber on, on social media especially I don't see it as much and then mm. I'll, I'll see someone, like, share it on social media and I'll just think, like, that pisses me off. But I like to think that as a whole we're starting to know better. But we can't take away our desire for, again, for fixes. So that type of stuff really pisses me off. The, when it comes to social media, I think, to, to be honest, I think it's a couple of things. I think it's poor education. So something recently this morning what was annoying me was about coaches who talk about things like cheat meals and these there's some basics that support people's relationship with food but it makes it worse one of the things that makes it worse is uh, dichotomous thinking about food so good foods and bad foods cheat meals treat meals these types of things we know they contribute to disorderly and so when i see pts and coaches talking about stuff like that that really riles me because it's very 2014 like we should know better by now Mm -hmm. so when coaches haven't made any effort to educate themselves and then go and talk about things that can contribute to people having worse relationships with food that annoys me it also gives me an insight into their coaching which concerns me if that's what they put on social media um I think what I eat in a day posts are really toxic because again it just fuels food comparison I think transformation pictures are really toxic I think um fake body positivity posts with lean girls are really toxic and because again they just focus they highlight the focus on the body and anything that's focusing on body or like how someone else looks and eats I think is really toxic so there are a lot of things and I think it's really hard to navigate when you're just trying to find some healthful information to support yourself when you've got diet culture or you've got anti-diet culture and you've got very, very little space for nuance in between I think it's hard and especially when health professionals are not necessarily as educated as they should be and you know I'm not just talking about PTs I'm talking about doctors who give out nutrition advice which is just awful nutrition advice but because they're medical doctors people rate them like that's really toxic it's not just it's certainly not a PT thing this is a a kind of whole space problem I think that we have
0: yeah no I understand do you think as well though like say the PTs who are talking about cheat meals and stuff like that like it might necessarily not be that they're ignoring it but it's a reflection of their own issues that they have that they obviously I'm a personal trainer I can't have disordered eating patterns yes,
1: yeah because there's, yeah, there's a lot of shame around it for sure but a lot of people get into fitness and nutrition because they've got their own disordered eating habits in the first place and that's a lot of the time why they become coaches and That can both add empathy and compassion, and it can also add a lens where people can't then see outside of their own lens of their own experience. Or it can add, it can contribute to people like knuckling down and like not allowing space for any sort of conversation about reality because they don't want to be outed as having these habits, which is why removing the shame from it is so important and talking openly about it is so important to say, you know, I work with a lot of personal trainers as clients and it's okay Mm. to have struggles with your own relationship with food if you're working on those and doesn't make you a fraud for doing your job it makes you a human being and I think especially fitness we like to downplay disorder eating as if it's like some sort of minority because it's safer than having to actually accept that a lot of your clients are experiencing it and you don't know what to do and you're potentially experiencing it and you don't know what to do for yourself
0: yeah I think as well I I say myself personally when I first started I felt like you know you could only show uh you know oh I'm eating this salad or this omelet, and you know and then like you leave out all the the burgers or the drinks and stuff like that because you're a personal trainer you can't be doing that you know and now I'm just like when people say or I will talk to clients about going out drinking and stuff like that and I'm like look it's it's normal it's not wrong
1: yeah and the thing is as well like if we look at health outcomes connection and social connection and or isolation are huge contributors to overall health and longevity and it's like if your social connection comes from going for dinner on a Saturday night and having a couple of glasses of wine with your mates that is just as important for your health as you you know your vegetables all the other days of the week and I think that's it's why it's so important it's not I think there was a really helpful push in the fitness industry to say to stop that kind of chicken and rice situation going on. And they mm-hmm. said, you know, you can still lose body fat and still go out with your mates and do all of these things. And I think that was really helpful. But I think we now need to move through that even more and say, I encourage you to not binge drink. I mean you can if that's up your street, but it's obviously not healthy. But yeah. like I encourage my clients to go on dates. I encourage my clients to eat pizza with their their partners because it's like that is you relaxing, being present and enjoying time with your partner we need to step away from damage limitation by go from going out to encouraging this as part of a healthful relationship with food and just health in general do they struggle with that that i find it hard to just not care and do it or some people do i think i think if, if everyone who's ever dieted is super honest could they say that they don't feel any anxiety about going out for dinner and having not seen the menu beforehand and not fall into a kind of screw it mentality when they do go out for dinner, I think it would be quite uncommon for people not to think that they have any sort of reservations around it. Or if someone said to them last minute, after they'd had a big lunch, do you want to go out for dinner? How many people would say, actually, I feel comfortable with that, I'll just get something small, versus how many people would not want to do it at all because they'd already had a big lunch and they didn't think that they should have a big dinner. So I think, yeah, I think it's probably more common it's not certainly not just my clients and again it's not all my clients either some of them um, mm. but yeah i think it's probably quite common yeah um what are the
0: biggest uh say recurring themes you find maybe i know it's a spectrum so there's different
1: things but is there something you see kind of regularly with people or could it be um, anything really yeah so one of my kind of favorite things is when like i have email lists and stuff and people say it's like you're reading my mind because to me that's super important as a coach that you can understand exactly where your client is but it's also because I hear all the time the same things coming up all the time so it's things like there's common things there's things like being scared to deviate from my fitness pal so if you're tracking not knowing how to be flexible with that and when you do kind of stray from that going all out because you've kind of got a red number so you just think well screw it I'm just gonna overeat that's super common um People who overeat, especially at night, especially at the weekend, super common. Um, and then obviously they kind of fall into, often will fall into that binge-restrict cycle of restricting all day and then overeating at night or restricting all week and then overeating at the weekend. Um, the classic kind of inability to have unconditional permission to eat. So there's still dichotomous thinking about food. There's still certain foods that some people just don't eat i remember working with someone once and it took them about two years to eat i think it was a cinnamon roll or a croissant that i haven't had this in five years because they've come through competing and then it was just like now it's a staple food and so that's super common this this lack of ability to just relax and enjoy food people not being regular with food so people don't know how to be mindful with their food they eat at their desks they eat with their kids or eat off their kids' plates. And so they just generally just don't get, don't even know what healthful nutrition looks like. And I think that's quite a big issue that we have in the fitness industry in terms of what healthful nutrition is. And I think if you were to ask most personal trainers, do you cook with olive oil or do you cook with fry light? Do you eat 5% yogurt or do you eat 0% yogurt even when you're not dieting? that would be healthful choices of cooking with olive oil for example essential fats we need them We, we can't make them in our body but how often are coaches and personal trainers talking about that side of things or how often are they just saying just make smart swaps where you eat the lowest calorie option all the time and and that can create a lot of food fear for people so it's again another really common one and the other things are things like a lack of compassion for ourselves most clients who come to me hate the way that they eat or they hate themselves for the way that they eat or they struggle to they feel like failures because they have no self-control or what they feel is no self-control and it's about bringing that compassion back in and understanding that that's healthful and not detrimental to your progress and so that's another classic issue I think
0: yeah I find that the lack of compassion I find that with the fitness as well like you know clients they like miss a session or something and it's like everything's wrong and you're like no, you're fine you're like you know yeah.
1: you didn't you haven't undone everything just by missing one day exactly that and a lot of that falls into that kind of perfectionist tendencies of like if I can't do it perfectly then I just won't do it but hmm. that's the biggest reasons why you're not making progress in the first place because you are trying to be perfect and perfect doesn't exist there's no way that you can be perfect for the next however many years of your life it just doesn't exist and so you will fail and it's about saying oh I failed I'm human okay great on to the next thing start again again just keep cracking on and perfectionism is such a driver for solves and progress again that's what often when we see like the interest rate of trying to be so perfect and restricted during the week and then just eating one slice of pizza and it's like damn just going all in yeah um do do you have any like feelings towards people tracking their calories or no no i think tracking is really helpful for some people especially those who are trying to drop body fat or people who are trying to gain body weight tracking can be really helpful tracking is not a long-term strategy though and i think that's the problem that we have so if you You can't track for the rest of your life. It's just not feasible. And if you feel dependent on tracking calories, I think it's time to try and step away from it. Or if you are somebody who regularly overeats, then it's time to step away from it. Get consistent with your nutrition over time. And then maybe tracking might be better for you later down the line or not. You know, I think tracking was so good when it first kind of people started using it because it moved people away from meal plans like when I first fell into the industry it was meal plans everywhere it wasn't they weren't talking about tracking macros and tracking macros and flexible dieting was so important and it went through that phase of everyone just trying to cram pop-tarts into their flexible diet and that wasn't helpful but it was important it was needed to say you can have these foods and be still stick to your macros and it's fine so I do think that that was needed and then over time we're a lot better with it now and people tend to be a lot more flexible we know that if you track your protein calories the rest is fine and people are a lot easier with that but now i think it's like okay we need to take the next step of saying this is that served a purpose maybe you really understand food now you understand calories you've lost body fat you've developed all of these good habits so let's rely on your habits now and take tracking away i think that is really important and i think that again if you're looking at short-term programs it's certainly something that's missed Yeah that's true actually because I suppose if you track for a while
0: you kind of start to learn to do things by eye as well and if you are obviously if you're worrying if you've put two extra grams of rice in or something
1: like that you probably need to take that get that out of your life. Yeah I mean I heard of a a bodybuilder who um, would weigh his bagels you know like pre-packed bagels and if it didn't weigh what it said on the packet then he'd cut some off of it and it's like you're eating a pre-packaged bagel it might be only like five grams different but you cut that five grams off and it's like that's a problem that is a poor relationship with food and that we have to not normalize that and you know again I will work with clients who who will weigh food that meticulously and that is a problem and we need to remove things you shouldn't be weighing your food day in day out it's not that's again not a way to live and it's unnecessary as well um actually as well when you were saying about people
0: like eating really well and just like eating everything at the weekend I suppose you've probably heard the term of banking calories
1: Mm. do you find that works at all or I think it completely depends on your relationship with food so something I teach Mm. EIQ nutrition is the difference between proactive calorie cycling and reactive calorie cycling for some people proactive calorie cycling where (coughs) they bank 100 calories a day say not a ton amount 100 calories a day or say Monday to Friday because they know they've got a wedding on a Saturday night and they want to relax a little bit. Fine, crack on on the, on the Sunday, Monday, crack on like normal. Reactive calorie cycling is when you overeat at the weekend. So you reactively restrict all the way through the week and then you overeat again at the weekend. Unhelpful. So if you've got a good relationship with food, I think proactive calorie cycling where you, you bank a couple of calories, a couple, like a couple of hundred or some calories for the weekend or for an event. I think is fine provided that you just move on you're you are compassionate with yourself you don't feel guilt and shame around it and guilt and shame is one of the key indicators that is something that's not helpful to you if you feel guilt or shame around your eating then that's disordered and it's something to work on and that can come from that kind of banking of calories yeah I get that I think I suppose
0: like you said relationship food, but you probably find people who could it quite a bit yeah and then
1: yeah off the absolutely. yeah, and you'll they'll be an 1100 calories a day and then massively overeating at the weekend like that's really unhelpful yeah um let me see is there
0: like any kind of I know you can't give blanket advice but any advice for so- people who are kind of struggling with sort eating like to what they can do or like I know say for instance maybe they Feel like they can't afford to work with someone to help the problem at the moment is there anything maybe they can kind of do themselves I think
1: it, it depends because disorder yeah. is so broad it, it depends mm. but what like some basic things of understanding what your disordered eating habits are and understanding what purpose they're serving for you so journal on them journaling is one of the best things you can do so say for example it's overeating journal about what happened leading up to that event of your overeating what you felt like after the event and based on that, what you can do differently next time. Or if it is that you're stuck, addicted to tracking, not addicted it's not a right word, but obsessed with tracking. Figure out why, what purpose is that serving you? Because I feel like I need it to control my diet. Why do you need to control your diet? Why is that so important to me? Because I feel like uncertain in other aspects of my life. Okay, well, how can we create more certainty in other parts of your life? Or how can we get you to a point where you feel comfortable with a bit of uncertainty? Why do you feel that you need that control? What is it about uncertainty that you find so challenging? Which of course we all find uncertainty challenging, but for some people it can be more challenging. So I think the answer really is figuring out what it is and owning it to that, being kind to yourself about it and and then thinking, okay, well, why am I doing this? And what alternatives are there to replace that habit? And what actions can I take to do that? That's probably the most broadest sense of how you can start. Yeah, no, no,
0: no, it's um you can't really give blanket advice anyway. Um, do you get a lot of pushback
1: from people when you when you talk about journaling? Sometimes, most of the time, not so much now, because people know me. When they come to work with me, they know what I do by this point. Um, so not so much people don't really like to do it to do it some people do when they get into something a bit but journaling forces you to feel your feelings it forces you to get reflective it forces you to stop ignoring what's going on so a lot of the time people don't want to do it because it's uncomfortable sometimes we just don't want to do it because we just don't want to put that work in as well but journaling is one of like I don't journal every day I journal once or twice a week max it's not something that you have to do all the time but it's one of the most transformative things I think anyone can do to support their health even if it's not disordered eating habits even if it's just self-awareness and reflection and goal setting and gratitude and that type of thing I think is so important yeah no you're right um I'm one of those people is terrible
0: at journaling (laughs) (laughs) it'll happen at the (laughs) start Um, yeah, so I think that is everything I have to ask you by one question. And this is one I like to ask all my guests and it's completely different to what we were talking about there. But what is the best advice that you've ever been given?
1: Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, my one, this is, this is tough. I think my favourite bit of advice is that actually everything is transient and I've got it on my picture frame right next to my office desk. Everything is transient. is for me really important. Recognising that whatever it is that you're going through will pass. The highs will pass. The lows will pass. So if you're feeling the highs, like take time to be grateful for them and love them and take them in and be present. And if it's the lows, allow it because it will get better with time so i think that is probably my favorite bit of advice
0: i think that's really good actually when you said like the highs will pass as well because people always focus on getting stuck in the lows but they never remember that the highs go through as
1: well like yeah exactly so i want to thank you as well for joining me today where can everybody find you um instagram is the best place my instagram handle is emilia thompson phd and my website is um, emilia.fitness so either of those brilliant and yeah just thanks again for joining us today
0: thank you for having me and just for anybody looking to find me you will find me on instagram and tiktok it is at Chrissy H Fitness, and you will also find me on my website it is www.chrissyhawkins.com thank you again for listening to the why not podcast it really means a lot that you are listening in and I would love if you could please leave a review on apple Podcasts or subscribe on spotify and always I'd love to hear feedback personally so if you do want to leave me a message and let me know how you found the podcast please do